the Boys of Tech with Edwin Herman and friends. Welcome to the show. This is another episode of The Boys of Tech, New Zealand's longest running tech podcast. This is episode 350 for the week commencing Monday, the 21st of September. 2015. It's Monday morning and I'm Edwin Herman. I'd like to welcome my co-host for this episode, Kim Farrah. Hi Edwin. Hi everyone. Kim, it's good to have you back on the show again. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was good. The weather was a bit crappy, so I didn't do too much, but um, yeah, it was a good weekend. I think the whole country yeah. had rubbish weather, didn't they, here in New Zealand? I know. Hibernation weather, waiting for it to get better. Well, uh, good news. I heard yesterday that apparently word is out that summer is going to be a long, dry, warm summer. Spring's supposed to be wet. But if summer's good and dry and warm, that's good. Well, that's what they say. I don't know if they just say that because we're having such rubbish weather now in spring, but <laughs> who knows? Anyway, let's get into the tech stories then. And first up, Clock Guy. Have you, did you hear about Clock Guy? Yeah, I did, but I didn't know it was called him Clock Guy. Oh, I just coined that phrase. I'll use his real name, Ahmed Mohammed. He's a 14-year-old. He He's uh, a sort of a budding engineer. He lives in Texas. And he built this clock, this electronic device, this electronic clock himself, because that's what he likes to do. That's what he's exploring. And he brought it to school. And next thing he knows, he's being handcuffed by the police because I know. The, te- crazy. <laughs> the teachers were convinced it was a bomb. <laughs> it was a bomb. I laugh when I say this. I can't even say it with a straight face. They were convinced it was a bomb. That is so bad. That is so bad. I know. I know. I mean, this business name, Ahmed Mohammed. They are saying that, as you said, it's because of his name that you know, if it was anyone, if it was you know John Smith or something, that uh, they probably wouldn't have know, come to the same like, conclusion. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well done, John. <laughs> as for you, Ahmed, you're going to jail for building a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's terrible. So the latest on this now is that Facebook, NASA, and even President Obama have reached out to him. I mean, Obama tweeted. What did Obama tweet? He said, cool clock, Ahmed. Want to bring it to the White House? We should inspire more kids like you to like science. It's what makes America great. Isn't that cool? Everybody's kind of got behind him. I think that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, I think any – well, I'd like to hope that any damage that was done has been more than reversed by all of us. I hope he sees it the same – I'm sure he sees it the same way. I'm just wondering, like, uh, what's happening with the the teachers or the people that have said, you know, made that call to ring the police, you know, to have him arrested. Yeah, you know, I, know. I guess, you know, to present both sides of the story – uh, the flip side is if, if there was a device that someone genuinely thought was a bomb, you'd like to think that there is, uh, that, you know, appropriate action would be taken. I you don't so. want to. So they've, 
had a concern and they've acted on it, but yeah, still. I think where it went wrong was when he insisted that it was just a clock, that perhaps they ought to have at least looked a little more closely at this device and at the person. So I think it's uh, pretty amazing too, because you think 14, like there's quite a bit involved in making a clock as well. Yeah. I could only make really not so interesting things. In fact, (laughs) one of the things I I did make... Not so interesting things. Yeah, quote of the day. I think that will be the title of our show, (laughs) Not So Interesting Things. Well, one of the things I made when I was 14 was a... A lock, although it was a kit, so I didn't really sort of devise it. I didn't engineer it myself, but I put it together myself. Was a a mm. combination lock for my bedroom, for my bedroom door. So you had to put punch in a four digit pin to get through, and then it releases yeah. a little magnet. All the magnet and stuff yeah. was was my doing. It was, the, but the pin pad, if you like, was was a kit. And then one day it malfunctioned, and I, no, no one could get into. I couldn't get into my bedroom. And so what I had to do is I had to go outside. Fortunately, one of my two windows was actually, the latch was broken and it was just jimmied uh, shut, you know, permanently shut. So I managed to jimmy it open with a a screwdriver and climb in and I never used that lock again. Use it again. Mind you, your mum can't come in your room and say, oh, it's dirty or it's messy. Well, that was kind of the idea, you know, I'd had this control. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I certainly wouldn't have been able to build a clock or let alone engineer anything like like that myself. So well done to him. Yeah, uh, well, good on him. Yep, good on him. All right, uh, what else have we got? The the chip that... self-destructs. So what the, what this is, is Xerox is taking a, a new line of research at preventing security breaches. And with this one, they're developing a chip that can be remotely destroyed, and I mean physically destroyed, as in blown up, if you like, shattered into a million pieces, uh, remotely on demand. So you would do this with chips that contain, like, you know, private encryption keys, that sort of thing? Yeah. What do you think, Kim? I mean, once once a chip's gone, you can't hack it, right? That's what I'm wondering. It's really good because any hackers, they can't get that information. But what happens when you want that information? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, it depends how it's going to be used. So if it's something that holds your private key to, I don't know, to to some, I don't know, hard drive encryption, you better think twice before using it. Do I actually know that key in my head or, or have I got it somewhere else or have I? can I regenerate that same key in order to get the data I want? Yeah. Because if you can't, then not only, as you say, Kim, not only is it going to lock out the hackers, it's going to lock you out. But it's kind of, what I like I about it is that up until now, right, we've been focusing security on software, on, you know, everything, mm. it's all to do with software, firewalls, uh, encryption, authentication, all that is just software, nothing more than software. Whereas this here is some physical breakage. Physical hack. Yeah. Yeah. It almost makes you think of Mission Impossible, isn't it? Exploding chips, you know, like, oh, they've hacked the startup. Yes, yes. And and now it's, <laughs> you know, this, it may well, you know. It couldn't be for real, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things like that these days where you think, oh, it was, you know, this reminds me of such and such movie from, 
years and years ago and and now it's you know having said that this is in the early stages this is they've only done one of them it's the chips basically uh coated in gorilla glass or as a layer of gorilla glass and to smash it there's a, a resistor that heats up very very hot until the gorilla gl- glass uh shatters and that's what shatters the chip it's interesting though i, I used to, to know what information's on that chip so you know what i mean it's like there might be one bit that's hacked so the whole chip is is blowing up yeah i'm not sure yeah well this you is know, the thing i mean I control, control it to know what was blowing yeah it will blow the entire chip but i think what you've said makes me realize that You'd have to have some reason to want to blow it up. So in other words, I guess if you're being hacked and you don't know you're being hacked and there's no signs you're being hacked, you're not going to push the panic button, are you? Because it's, you know, you've you've got no reason to. It's thinking outside the box as well, isn't it? It's totally different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. As I, Yeah, totally. I mean, as I said before, everything's just been software solutions. This here is definitely something completely outside the box. Now, Facebook is now considering, no, not just considering, it actually is uh, in the process of producing a dislike button. What do you think, Kim? I don't know. I I kind of think, why didn't they do this before? (laughs) And I know that they said that they've been working hard to do this, but surely it can't be that complicated just to put in a dislike button as well. Well, you know, it's funny because we did a story on this very podcast, I, I don't know how long ago it was, months, maybe a year or two, and it was about the fact that Facebook had come out and said, we will not produce a dislike button because there were people calling for it. And they said, no, we're not doing it. It's not. It it won't work. It's not what we want. And what are they doing now? Yeah. They're producing a dislike button. Yeah, I guess it's kind of what people want, I guess. But it's weird because I know that they've said, you know, worried about people being bullied and everything. But I think kids and, and people can be, you know, quite mean or it's what they maybe say on Facebook. I'm, I don't think I'd be upset if I was a kid if I just got a thumbs down. You know? Yeah, I... Yeah, it's hard though because I mean I know that that kind of is the line that Facebook is, is taking, and they don't want it to be a uh, used in the case where, say, someone puts a photo up of something they've built, or or just a photo of themselves wearing some some new clothes or something, and everyone downvotes them, and and they you know they don't want that. What they do want it for, yeah, I guess, for voting and stuff like that as well. Opinion opinions of things, and yeah, and particularly stories or photos or videos of things that are what would you call it unsavory or perhaps a little distasteful or stupid, you know, or dangerous. When people mm. you know uh, post things like that, you know, to show their disapproval of something in that sort of respect and I think that's what that's what they want it to be used for and they've hinted at the fact that the way they're going to develop it is a way such that that's what it's going to cater for rather than you know downvoting someone who who has taken a photo of you know their their latest gizmo or something okay so they're going to have some smarts behind it not just having a automatic dislike. Well, I don't know. Yeah, Kim, I I don't know how to what to read into it. They've said that that's how it's going to work and that's what they're gearing it towards, mm-hmm. whether it's got okay. going to have some smarts or whether they're just going to have it appear on certain content but not other content. I I don't know. I really don't know. 
It, I mean, it is interesting because I have read some people's stories and, you know, or someone put something on Facebook and it might not be a nice thing or someone might talk about uh, the death of somebody or, you know what I mean, something that's not a nice thing that's happened. So yep. I can kind of see sometimes like you might want to want to comment but you won't want to show support but you don't want to be doing a big thing thumbs up oh someone's mum's died oh thumbs up you know I yeah don't know. gotcha yeah that kind of thing yeah so i mean are you you're a facebook user obviously yourself i am like i'm not a big well i would say i'm not a big facebook user but i've been traveling so i've used it a lot more in the last year than i would have before right so have you seen but, um, stories where you've been inclined to want to hit a dislike button if there was one? Not really. No, I don't really bother too much. I mean, as apart from my friends, I don't really – other things that you see, stories and things, I don't really – doesn't really bother me that much. You know, I just have a quick look and see what's happening, but most things I don't worry. Okay, all right. What about yourself? Well, no, I'm – I – have never used Facebook, and I don't want to say I never will because I'd never like I you know never say never, but I can't see myself using it. And I think this has kind of been one of the running themes throughout this whole podcast ever since its inception in two thousand January two thousand nine. That I'm a tech guy that has never used Facebook, and there you go. Yeah. <laughs> How it is? Say never, say never. Well, yeah, I mean, I I don't you know I, I think it's once you. Once you go Facebook, you never go back, really. Mm. And uh, I know there's a. It's funny though because there's a. There's been sort of waves going in opposite directions. There's always new people sort of coming into Facebook, but there's there's also waves going the other way. Waves of people leaving Facebook, saying that's it. I'm closing my account. I I don't want to be on here anymore. It's a, a waste of time. It's it doesn't interest me. Waste of time. I think quite a few people spend a lot of time on Facebook as well, so I, I can see that, you know what I mean? Or or people just get hooked up and they, they think, sometimes think that's real life, you know? They yeah. Show, everybody shows them a fantastic time and you look at it and go, oh, that's, I'm not having that fantastic time. <laughs> Although, <laughs> although in your case it was the opposite because you were, probably, you were travelling for the last, what, 18, was it 18 months or... Eighty months. Eighty yeah, months. Yeah. Like so it. you were probably posting all these cool pics and of things, and you know, I know people like me would have been looking at it going, "Oh, I get to see everybody else's." <laughs> well, yeah. Now that you're back, like, yeah. So if I hit that dislike button, then when everyone's throwing me their holidays, still I could be like, dislike, dislike. <laughs> I don't want to see these fantastic photos you're taking. And yeah. that's probably exactly what Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want to have happen. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, well, anyway, they are building a dislike button. So for those of you who are Facebook users, which is probably everyone who listens to this podcast, uh, well, yeah, look forward to it. It's coming. All right, last story then, uh, well, last international story. Apple have released their first Android app. Can you Can you understand this? Apple have released an Android app. How does that work? Yeah. Telesis. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, it's not what it, it may seem at first. It's an app that helps you, no surprises here, switch from Android to iOS. So the idea is you're on Android, you don't like Android, you want to go iPhone, you buy yourself an iPhone, you load up the Android app on your Android phone, 
and it transfers or helps you transfer all your camera images, your videos, your messages, your account settings, your contacts, your bookmarks, etc., etc., across to your iPhone wirelessly. And when you're all done, yeah. you ditch your Android phone. So now I guess it makes sense as I to think why that's really good Apple because did that. that would be like a, that- yeah, because I mean, you, you think every time you all your contacts and, like you say, all your photos and everything, it'd just be a real hassle to start afresh. So I think it's a be good idea. Yeah, I think it's about removing those barriers, exactly as you said. I mean, I know people who have considered. In fact, here take take for example Brett. Although he's going the other way, he's on an iPhone, and I think he was considering going. I'm not sure whether it was Windows Phone or Android, but he sort of admitted that. You, not that you're locked in, but there's a barrier to there's an effort to to switch, and so if mm. that effort was, if you like, removed the need for that effort was removed, it would make switching a lot easier, and then you can sort of uh, make the decision uh, more more comfortably. Yeah. Right. I, I, I think sometimes people do want to change. I mean, I guess the thing is if you've bought the phone, but if you if you wanted to change, then you can change back if it doesn't suit you as well. Actually, you probably can't, can you? Well, once, you, oh, once you've bought it, you'd have to find some, some other poor sucker to buy it off you, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. uh, it can be done, though, I guess. But it's like anything, you know, like power companies, you know, it, it's an effort to switch. And, and you know, and sometimes it just takes someone to knock on your door, or to, I don't know, to phone you or something, and say, you know, I'm rep- representing the other power company. Would you like to switch to us? Here's the deal, and and then you make, you know, you make mm-hmm. the switch. Yeah. All right, but it did seem kind of weird looking at the headlines that Apple have released their first Android app. It's like, hang on, this makes no sense. I know that that <laughs> kind of confused me as well. <laughs> Ah, oh, well, there we go. Mystery solved. All right, tell you what, Kim, we'll take a short break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Brody Nelson from Parkable. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. This is the New Zealand section of the show. I've got Brody Nelson standing by. Now, whether you're attending an event at the local sports stadium or doing a spot of shopping in town, finding a free parking spot is either difficult, expensive, or more often, both. And that's because there is only a limited set of designated car parks around. So enter Parkable. That's the app that's set to change the way we find a car park. And joining us from the company is Brody Nelson. Welcome to the show, Brody. Hi, Edwin. Thanks for having me on. Oh, look, it's uh, it's our pleasure. So can you tell us a little bit about it? How does it work? Sure. So we're aiming to be the Uber for parking, and we launched in Auckland six weeks ago. And our service aims to connect people looking for car parks with property owners who might have some unused space and are willing to list those spaces for uh, to make some money. So you're saying like, for example, if I want to let someone park in my driveway while I'm either not there or, or if, if I'm not needing the, my car, then I can make a little bit of money on the side through Parkable. That's right. So it's really simple. Um, Anyone can download our app and within a couple of minutes you can list your park on the on the service. So the host uh, lists the park, they get to set the price uh, and they get to set the availability. All right, so times of the day, days of the week, that kind of thing? That's, that's exactly right. And um, as soon as they've listed their park, the park will appear on the map and anyone 
driving around looking for a space will be able to um, tap on that park, see the details, see if it's available, see the price and some instructions. And they simply drive into the park, tap once to start parking, go away and do their thing. When they come back, tap again and uh, the right amount will be deducted from their credit card. So do you have to have a portable device? Do you have to have a mobile or if you have a laptop, will, will that also work through the web? Yeah, so we are, um, we have an iOS app and we have an Android app native to the devices, but we also have a, um, a web app. So if you had a, an Android, uh, sorry, if you had a laptop, that would be fine. Okay, great. So you don't you don't have to have a uh, a smartphone with you. That's right. You, you can just, just, yeah. I guess I guess you need either a mobile device or a computer which is connected to the internet. Great. Great. So, you know, this would be so useful because it wasn't long ago when I took my daughters for a cross country event. We we're mm. running a little bit late and it was at one of the local sports fields. And because we were late, we were kind of, we, well, we figured we wouldn't get a park pretty close, but that was kind of the annoying thing, but, but because we needed one close because we were late. And there were all these driveways and people, you know, these sections with large amounts of space, and I almost wanted to go up to someone's door and say, look, can I just park here? Here's, here's a tenner or something. So this is what Parkable is for, right? Yeah, so that's the idea of the business. We are trying to maximize the efficiency of underutilized space. So... For example, if, if you're a small business owner, you might only need your business parks from nine to five or nine to six or whatever. And after hours, you could lease those parks. And potentially, if your business is in a busy area like Kingsland or Ponsonby, people going to restaurants and going out for the evening could use those parks after hours. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good idea because how often do we see all these business premises with, with space on the weekend or after hours in the evenings and they're not using it? That's right. And if it'd be you, so handy if we could park there and then they could make a little bit of money on the side. Yeah, so um, we've launched six weeks ago and we're seeing quite a rapid growth. We've got over 300 parks in on the service now in Auckland, which is just in those key areas. So we're really only targeting CBD, Ponsonby, um, Greyland, Kingsland, and, and uh, Parnell. And this I was going to say Parnell. I figured Parnell would be in there. <laughs> yeah. So um, we launched, a, we did a soft launch around the Bledisloe Cup match at Eden Park. Mm-hmm. And we were able to get a around 170 parks around the stadium. So that was fantastic. And we had yeah, that's lot, great. We had a lot of users taking advantage of that. So, how did you come up with this idea? What what sort of um, sparked this idea for Parkable? Well, I there's three founders to Parkable, and I guess we're all we've all had um, parking frustrations. Mine was really living overseas, living abroad, and then coming back to Auckland. I found myself driving a lot more, and. I, d- I just it became obvious to me that it was a common problem that needed to be solved. So I got together with a couple of other guys, and um, yeah, we just thrashed out the idea. So was it mostly your idea, or had they also thought of the same thing independently? Yeah. So I mean, we all wanted to do something around parking, but my co-founder Warwick, I guess he was the one who looked at the sharing economy. Um, he looked at what some other co- um, companies are doing, like Airbnb and Uber. And um, 
helps helped us put the idea together. Now you mentioned you were overseas. What like has something does something like this exist overseas already? Is it well established overseas? Uh, there are examples. So I um, when when we came out with the idea, we weren't aware of any, but we had a look at some of the competition overseas, and there is a, a, a company in the UK doing something similar, and there is uh, a, another company I'm aware of in in the states and one in Belgium as well. So. There's a few a few companies um, starting up, but I'd say that there would all be an early stage startup mode. That kind of surprises me because I guess there's no reason why this couldn't have been done five or ten years ago, right? Yeah, I mean there are a lot of examples of existing parking uh, companies having apps or um, or. Booking, booking functionality through websites, and that, that's been around for a long time. But uh, I guess crowdsourcing is um, what we're doing. It's just a little bit different. And I think that a lot of people recently have taken a look at some of the success, uh, successful share, sharing economy businesses like Airbnb and Uber and have thought, well, maybe we should do something similar. I tried it out not long ago, and when I first tried it out, I didn't see any car parks in Wellington. Yeah. And I, I'm picking on Wellington because we're based the, the boys of sure. tech shows based in sure. Wellington. But there's since been a few pop up. Yeah, well, we've got some. We, we, as I said, we've launched in Auckland, and that's our focus until Christmas. And then in 2016, we're looking to concurrently go nationwide, and then to Sydney as well. But yeah, so we got some press in the Dom Post on last Saturday, and I think because of that, we've had just a, a bunch of people putting their um, their parks on sporadically. So that's that's fantastic. Oh, good. Yeah, it's good that people are, are giving it a go and and getting in there. Now, the other thing I noticed when I was playing around with it is that your the main way you interact with the app, at least with the online uh, the, the web one, is through a map. How did you decide that that was going to be the best user interface? Well, uh, we went through a few different permutations and we looked at sort of different, like a list view or um, a sort of hybrid view. But I think a map just makes sense given the nature of, of what the app is doing. Um, and so that's what we came down on. Yeah, it's interesting because when I logged on I, for the first time, I wasn't sure what to expect at all. I, I thought, well, you know, like a lot of sites that connect sellers and buyers together for whatever, whatever the market is, mm. I was kind of expecting like listings. But when I saw the map, I thought, you know, first of all, I was surprised. But second, I thought, actually, it makes sense because I want to park over here graphically. Sure. Here's where I want to go. A, a map is exactly what you want. I mean, it's the same when you Google a location or a business and you get all these little drop-ins. It's the same sort of thing. So have you, are you using Google Maps or are you using something else? So um, on our Android app, we're using Google Maps and on our iOS app, we're using the native Apple Maps. And oh, okay. Yeah, so we just went for the uh, mapping technology that was um, the most native, I guess, because we felt that it would work better with the native frameworks. Yeah, and I think also presumably the user experience would be familiar to the users as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. What, what about for the for the web app? What are you using there? Uh, we're actually using a technology called um, Mapbox, which is as a different mapping system again. And the reason we chose that is its its libraries are quite 
developer friendly for web technologies. So we felt like we could get something that looks great and we'll be able to iterate really fast. Right. So you've obviously thought about the different mapping platforms that you'll use and you've picked the best one for the, uh, I guess, horses for courses, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, because the projects are separate, like they're um, completely separate products, even though they're the same product, if that makes sense, where we have that flexibility to choose different technologies that suit each platform. Great. So, can you tell us some of some of the hurdles you you encountered along the way? I mean, surely it was it, it can't have been plain sailing. Nothing ever is. <laughs> well, were there any sort of standout obstacles that you overcame that that you want to share with us? Yeah, sure. Um, when we first launched, uh, the team was pretty diverse and spread out, and we were mostly all working on other projects, and we were just squeezing Parkable in when we could. And there was a bit of coordinating because some of my development team was living abroad and in Berlin. So the time difference was a little bit challenging <laughs> at times to um, mm. coordinate everyone. And I was having, I can imagine. To, having to do morning and evening Skypes and that kind of thing. Um, but now that we are full-time on the project and we've got offices and we're seeing every, everyone every day, yeah, it, it's much easier to get the communication going. That must have taken a lot of coordination, i, I got to say. I do like the attention to detail, though, that you've put in. Uh, for example, the, the little progress indicator is a is an little car going around a circle. Yeah, well, I, we're pretty happy with the first iteration of the design. Look, there's room for, room for improvement, and it is just our, um, our version 1.0, and uh, we're passionate about improving. But I think the next phase really is going to be around uh, attracting active car parks. Um, hosts and that's our goal is to have a thousand parks in Auckland by Christmas so we're putting a bit of effort behind our sales team right now and um, trying to target some of the bigger events that are coming up so we had some events at uh, Victor Arena recently which we've been trying to promote and we are trying to get a whole lot of parks for the Auckland Boat Show that's coming up yep so if you're Going along to the Auckland Boat Show, check out Parkable and hopefully there'll be a, a whole bunch of parks for you to, to park in near to um, the Boat Show. Great. So that's parkable.co.nz. Now, by the way, have you had any letters from the council upset that you're going to be, you know, that they're missing out on their share of parking revenue? No, I think we're only, we're always going to be just part of the parking solution. So we've actually been in active conversations with the, with the council and um, they've been pretty supportive actually. And I think there's a, a there's a sustainability or sort of um, maximizing or uh, making efficient use of space, which I think is always, you know, or, or city council is always going to be approving of that. I think. One thing I did wonder though is how does it know that the uh, a person listing a space actually owns that space? So what happens is in our T's and C's, it makes it very clear that you have to be the leaseholder or the property owner. And uh, when you list the park, there's a message to confirm that that's the case. And what happens is that the next day, or as soon as you list the park, some someone from our uh, sales team will contact you and give you a, a welcome pack, an on, onboarding pack. And at that point, we do a bit of validation. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's I, that's really good. Uh, <laughs> you probably won't be able to keep that up when demand, you know, goes through the roof yeah, in, and we in, might in the next mo- to- few months. But. We might have to move to like a moderation system where the parks aren't live immediately and we moderate them first. But at the moment, I think we're giving people the benefit of the doubt. And um, so far, of our 300 parks, we haven't had any problems. 
And we check all the new parks that come on every day. So if there's any obviously inappropriate parks being listed, we'll just take them off the service and contact the person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Well, I think this is a fantastic idea. I can't wait to use it here in Wellington. And, you know, I was thinking, you know, the obvious places for these, for the demand for this would be CBD. But as I mentioned, you know, earlier in the segment, there are sporting events that happen at various uh, different sporting grounds. And some people just like to be able to make sure that they uh, get a park nearby. And those can often be out in the, uh, in the burbs. That's right. And, um, We've got lots of parks coming on near the airport and places like near park and rides, places, you know, near transport hubs. So there's lots of opportunities for um, listing your space. Oh, yeah. I just had a thought. Um, you know, Seatoon and uh, suburbs like that here in Wellington would make, would probably do quite well out of that because it's within walking distance from the airport. That's right. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think anything's in walking. Is anything in walking distance from the airport in Auckland? Well, there is quite a lot of commercial property around the, around the airport. So we're finding often developers who have a site which is being redeveloped and it might be just an empty site for, say, nine months or something. They're able to put on, you know, 50 parks, which is really great. Good one. Hey, look, I wish you all the very best and uh, I'll definitely be keeping an eye out for, for parks uh, where I want to go. Fantastic. Thanks for having me on the show and maybe I can come back and give you an update in a couple of months. Oh, I would love to. Absolutely. Maybe on the other side of Christmas when uh, yeah, we'll see, we'll see how you went on, you know, how you, whether you met your target. <laughs> Sounds good. Excellent. Look, thank All you right. very much, Brody. I appreciate it. Kim, would that be useful for you in Christchurch? Um, I'm not too sure in Christchurch at the moment, but being from, you know, in Wellington for a while, definitely Wellington would be useful as well. Also, just I think- I see it saving a bit of money as well. Some of those parts yeah, seems- are getting pretty expensive. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's funny because I think the further south you go, the fewer parking worries you ha- you seem to have to worry about in the cities. It seems to be, you know, Auckland's really got problems. So, well, it's a cool app. I've already signed up for it and uh, I may well end up using it from time to time, particularly here in Wellington. And also I do visit Auckland as well occasionally and that may well come in handy there. In fact, we all know about Auckland's parking problems, don't we? Which is why you're not there, right, Kim? <laughs> well, lots of parking in Christchurch at the moment because we don't really have much of a city yet, but that'll change, I'm sure. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, just park here where the cathedral was. <laughs> <laughs> All right, anyway, look, we better end, end the show there then. Kim, I want to thank you very much for co-hosting. Appreciate it. Thanks, Ed. Great to be around again. Excellent. We'll do it again, I'm sure, uh, another time. In the meantime, have yourselves a fantastic week, everyone. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye.